We're August 1st, 2011. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 161. Gordon Shumway joke number four. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink cowboys, aliens, cowboys and aliens, and uh, really the addition of aliens to all manner of pop cultural uh, artifacts. Um, so, uh, so let's jump right in. Question of the week. What would you like to add aliens to? Uh, it's, a, <laughs> <laughs> it's an open form question. Blank. And aliens. What's it going to be? That laugh comes from Peter Fenzel. Let's start with you. Pete, how are you? I'm doing good. I actually just came from seeing Cowboys and Aliens. So yeah. uh, I'm a little down. Um, I'll go into later why I'm a little down <laughs> after seeing that movie. But I will say that to cheer me up, what I would like to see is uh, Friends with Benefits and Aliens. Because <laughs> 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 it'd be like, look, all right, Justin Timberlake. There can't be any strings with our sex, except for the constant presence of Uatu who <laughs> watch over us <laughs> and make sure that we uh, engage in our uh, coitus in a manner consistent with intergalactic law. Um, <laughs> oh, that was really, that was intense. That was that very was, sensual. Was, yeah. <laughs> the sweet soundtrack of lovemaking yeah. between Justin Timberlake and, and Mila Kunis. Or, I mean, there's also another movie that's pretty much the same, which is No Strings or Aliens Attached. It's uh, <laughs> pretty much the same movie, um, but with, with more of kind of a like... Ashton Kutcher, uh, Natalie Portman, Alf kind of vibe going on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, written by written by uh, Liz Merriweather, uh, class of two thousand three. No, really? No, she wrote no strings attached. Was she wrote no, no, not, no strings attached? Yeah. Oh, I was in playwriting classes with her. Or no, she was no, awesome. no, friends with, friends with benefits. She wrote, oh, she wrote whatever the, the the Natalie Portman one is. Yeah, that's the that's. That's the no strings attached. Yeah, no strings attached. Yeah, and this, yeah. this one is called Friends with Benefits. It's just called yeah. Well, it's just called, which one uh, is Armageddon and which one's Deep Impact? Cracked hacks here. Which one is Volcano and which one is Dante's Peak? <laughs> uh, I, I think that was Mila Kunis. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark Lee next in the alphabet. Mark, what 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 shall we add aliens to? All right, in honor of our nation's debt ceiling tr- debate travesty, I think. We should have Democrats and Republicans and aliens because there's a couple of ways to go with this. One is that in spite of an impending alien threat, Democrats and Republicans still can't work together and still try to exploit the aliens for political gain, either by sending voting rights to them or by uh, you know, uh, exploiting uh, society's fear of them for votes. I think, that, yeah, the Tea Party's position on aliens has already been made pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're going to build a wall. Uh, We're like, they're in spaceships. We're still building a wall. (laughs) I hope we get to that later. I I really want to know if uh, if Cowboys and Aliens has like any sort of like immigration or or, or Native American metaphors going on with it. But the other way to take this as well is that like Cowboys and uh, Democrats and Republicans and aliens uh, in that scenario, the aliens are somehow a third party um, to the Democrats and the Republicans, like the Green Party. And perhaps they split the Democratic vote and cause, you know, uh, what's his face, uh, George Bush to be elected to the White House again. No, Either way. Like, uh, 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 in other words, it's 1992. Your mind. It's like, hey, man, any vote for the Predator is a vote for Bush, okay? <laughs> no matter who wins, we all lose. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> Call back to Alien versus Predator. If anybody versus the class. Democrats and Republicans, yes. <laughs> the, uh, do you remember that Treehouse of Horror episode where Kang is running against Kodos and... Uh, and they say you have to choose one of us. You have to choose one of the of the two aliens for your president. And the the humans say, "We'll vote for a third party candidate." And the big one eyed octopus alien says, "Ha ha ha! Go ahead, throw your vote away." <laughs> you know who's not throwing his vote away is Josh McNeil, but uh, he's going to vote for what to add aliens to next. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and aliens. <laughs> Uh, I just uh, and really it's it's actually just sort of any reality TV star and aliens um, because I feel like the, the my girlfriend has uh, forced is the wrong word but I've I've been in the room as things like dance moms have been has been playing um, which is just like Ooh, horrible dance awful moms people. and aliens dance Come moms on. and aliens yeah that was that was uh, if I'd remembered the name in time that would have been what I said there's um, tiaras and aliens. Yeah, but just like horrifically awful people airing really private business as aliens attack, I think, is, uh, is, is something that I would very much like to see. Uh, just, you know, I want to make sure like I want to watch, watch people like talk about their hair as, you know, lightning bolts from space destroyed uh, their hometown. I think that'd be a, a show that I could get behind. Also, somebody uh, who's picking fights with everybody yells, I didn't come here to make friends. Well, right. and then is like blown to smithereens by an alien ray gun. <laughs> Or the alien says, I didn't come here to make, make <laughs> <Yeah>. friends. I can't just consume your precious natural resources. <laughs> Josh, you kind of chose mine. I was going to go my super sweet 16 and aliens. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, the idea being that, you know, when the, when the 16-year-old throws a tantrum because they didn't get the right model BMW, uh, you know, the aliens could come and, uh, I don't know, suck their brains out. I thought you were going to say that the, the, the teenage girl was going to throw a tantrum because she didn't get the right species of alien. She didn't get the right species of alien. She was, she was hoping for one of the brain bugs from Starship Troopers, but instead she got Elf. <laughs> that's the second Gordon Shumway joke of the night we're going to keep a counter up we'll let you know how many Gordon Shumway jokes you get. this by the way is the third Gordon Shumway joke <laughs> alright before you get up for that final snack I want you to know I've got your cat and I've also got uh, an incredible podcast to you about Cowboys and Aliens Pete uh, you're one of the two people on, on uh, the show who saw Cowboys and Aliens what was wrong with this movie well, okay. So, I mean, the obvious thing about the movie is that it's pretty convoluted uh, and complicated and difficult to... It's not difficult to follow, but unrewarding to follow. Um, the, the, the thing I really didn't like about the movie, and, and this is a whole other topic we can talk about, but I think Mark wants to address the whole uh, immigration thing first, and we can talk about that. But the movie, and I don't know if you got the sense, Josh, but I thought the movie was really violent. Like, like really gruesomely violent and, like, nasty. Um, like there's like uh, there's there's sort of alien abduction surgery scenes a la Fire in the Sky. If anybody remembers that old movie, where they're like cutting open Daniel Craig's abdomen with like a laser pointer and like ten second flashback. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. To, but me, I mean, to me, it was a violent movie, but I went into a movie called Cowboys and Aliens, well, I which it to are be a two, fun romp, which are two <laughs> violent. Genres of film. <laughs> oh, okay, fair and enough. Like, fair enough. In, 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 you know, name an alien movie in which there's not violence, or a western in which there's not violence, and I will name you a movie that went direct to video. Spaced Invaders. I don't know. That one was pretty good. <laughs> Mac and Me. I don't know. Like uh, <laughs> Wagon, Wagons East. 
<laughs> um, well, I guess well, the main sense is that you get the sense from the name Cowboys and Aliens that this is going to be a movie that has a fair amount of whimsy in it, and that is wrong. This is not a whimsical movie. It is not. But, no, and, and the aliens don't really represent foreigners, because um, or, or, there are Indians, there are Native Americans in the movie, and they, they team up. And the heroes aren't very good. It, it's, it plays much more off the cowboy idea of them being kind of like bleak, uh, kind of the sort of spaghetti western cowboy, the kind of like bleak in the desert kind of man who's morally ambiguous and needs to deal with like the harsh reality around him. And you know, can he be the gun for good or evil? Like that sort of thing. It's it's much because none of the characters are admirable. They all kill people all, like just casually before the movie even really gets going. Um, a bunch of people just get offed. And uh, and like Harrison Ford is one of the heroes, but he's also like a really abusive. Uh, former Civil War colonel who tortures people. Like yeah, there's he's, a he's scene. like the bo- he's uh, the boss of the town. He's like Gene Hackman in The Quick and the Dead. Sort of like runs the town with an iron fist and has the the doofus son who uh, is evil, but sort of gets to gets to mess with everybody because of how powerful his daddy is. Yeah, it's there's there are no likable characters in the film except some of, like a lot of the minor characters are actually quite likable. I thought Sam Rockwell is fine. You know? Sam Rockwell is fine. I thought Walton Goggins was fun. I thought yeah, uh, but he gets I, punched. He's tooth broken off, and then he gets made irrelevant. <laughs> it was really nasty. But yeah, that's no, actually um, the exact parallel of his role in the Shield. Um, <laughs> wait, just went to getting your tooth broken off. Uh, disqualify you from significant roles in the Wild West because last time I checked, that's almost like a prerequisite. They have surprisingly good teeth in this movie. Every, a lot of people have pretty good teeth. There's like uh, when uh, there's a scene where there's this woman, and I'm not going to say who the woman is because you don't really find out until it's ridiculous. But there's this woman who falls into some water at one point, and she wears a lot of makeup. And I and I lean over to uh, to the girl I'm seeing the movie with, and I'm like, "Hey, how much of her makeup's going to still be on her when she gets out of the water?" And she said, "100 percent." She was correct. She had like the, the pristine white teeth and like the perfect eyeliner and like mud on her face. Um, but but, but like, I mean, that's the, the, mud very, the mud is very artfully arranged, right, on her face. To kind of uh, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like a like a more of a nude tone foundation kind of situation. Mm-hmm. All right, um, is, so. So what the aliens actually represent is the aliens, like, randomly pick off people and kill oh, let them. Me, let, so they, me, uh, yeah. let me uh, read a listener, a listener haiku about Cowboys and Aliens, and you tell me okay. if this listener is right about what the aliens represent. Um, yeah. This is from Justin, uh, listener Justin, who writes in, Aliens need gold. Are the new conquistadors. Bond. Indy. Kill them. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is this I'm an next- accurate reading of the movie, or would you say that the aliens represent something else? Well, so, I, no, I think that's actually that's actually kind of right. There's, um, as Pete mentioned, the, so there are Native Americans in the film. They show up sort of late. They are the last of the classic Western tropes to show up in the film, which does sort of seem like a checklist of Western tropes. Um, and they show up, and they give the they give Daniel Craig some magic potion, and allows him to like uncover his spirit animal. Um, Wait, and so, seriously, that's what happens? It's a, hum- it's a hummingbird. Yes, it's a hummingbird. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's not his spirit animal. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's a no, big bear um, called no, Hummingbird. Yeah. I know, I know. Uh, it's, uh, so, but the, one of the things the Indians say sort of when they're like before they've joined forces with all of the white people um, is like the white people brought the monsters, right? Um, and then sort of shortly thereafter, you discover that the monsters are in fact there for gold, 
Um, like that's that's their purpose on Earth. Gold is gold is a rare metal on their planet as well. And sort of like the aliens from Independence Day, they travel the galaxy in search of instead of like all your resources, really just your gold. Um, I love the line where Harrison Ford is like, "What are they gonna do? Buy something?" Like, it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple. A couple it's of never explained. There's never an explanation for why they want the gold. The aliens don't even talk. Um, so you ever find out what their agenda is, really, other than extracting gold and killing everybody? You do know that, well, those, I mean, they, they sort of speak with their actions on those two things. That's um, true. But I felt like there was this movie that the script had been written, where the aliens really were sort of a parallel for, like, this, this piratical white people who like, came in out of nowhere and just destroyed whole cultures in search of gold. Um, <laughs> Because there's like there's some there's a very brief um, mention of sort of Harrison Ford's character is like out looking for this gold and Daniel Craig's character has had it at one point and ultimately their possession of some illicit gold which is never really explained uh, does lead to them like first encountering the aliens so like that movie was in there somewhere but not in the finished product yeah. Um, um, yeah, there's a long stretch at the beginning of the movie where there's very few aliens, and it's like Daniel Craig has amnesia and is kind of like a wandering lost cowboy, and there's like the guy from There Will Be Blood is in it, not Daniel Day-Lewis, the other guy. Um, yeah, you know, I, I hate just insulting the movie. I don't want to say it's just bad, but it's like it's much more a movie about kind of like the empty wastes, right, and like trying to cling to them than it is so, about like – So are we saying that that potentially controversial political message was watered down? potentially to make I mean, the movie more broadly appealing. I feel like it was just so they could have more like action because Pete's right. I mean, it's, it is a mostly an action film is an action film interspersed with very lovely shots of men riding in pretty parts of like our national park system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it seems to me like a movie where the heroes were really on the borderline, right? Between being terrible and being like kind of watchable. Um, and it seems to me that if they made the movie really obliquely, really obviously about kind of colonialism and exploitation, like really obviously about it, the degree to which the heroes of the movie, who are the cowboys, are bad would be like to a much greater degree. And there's nothing in the movie about like redeeming their relationship with the Native Americans. Like, like people have a party at the end, but like other than that, they're like they're at the end they're like they're gonna. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but like they're gonna build a railroad. Right, like the the Native Americans who previously <laughs> lived in this area. Seriously, like, yeah, pretty much. They're like, oh, this town is going to get much bigger now because we're all prosperous because we all decided that we can get along with each other. The most important people who are now getting along with each other are like the roving bands of brigands who had previously fought over the territory. They're like, they now all basically have this sort of blanket pardon, and everybody is getting along because they all teamed up against the aliens and they all feel better about themselves. There's nothing that's really said about what's going to happen to the Native Americans when this happens, which is no. that they're going to, you know probably get put on the res uh, which is unfortunate i mean uh, un- unlike pete i feel I, I i genuinely enjoyed watching the movie I mean, it's a fun movie there's a lot of like the action's pretty good the uh you know there's nothing like hugely surprising there's nothing hugely you know like thought provoking but like if you want to go see cowboys and aliens together on screen which is really all the film promises you it delivers on that in a, in what i found to be an entertaining way yeah, it's just not Maverick style cowboys. It's not like you know ride Mel Mel Gibson riding a horse and playing. Pokemon. Oh no, no, it's it's like bleak late seventies western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Clint Eastwood, more a lot more Clint Eastwood than uh, than um. What's the name of the singing cowboy? What's his name? Gene Autry. 
Gene Autry. Yeah, there's no Gene Autry in this movie. Really? You mean the, the, the impossibly weathered and craggly faces of Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford? We're going to start breaking out in Heidi Ho. I'm shocked. Shocked. There, there is a moment where they ask a fiddler to play something festive because everybody's really sad because a bunch of people just got shot. And the fiddler like plays this like. It's like really kind of pathetic. He plays the rooster song from the Disney Robin Hood, but um, <laughs> something of that caliber. Um, no, I think the um, – I mean, so they're, like, the Western themes, especially of late, like the great Western of the last 10 years was the HBO series Dead, Deadwood, um, which is about sort of how um, – I read some review recently it was like, like where blood and gold um, – how blood and gold are spilled in order to build civilization, which is really sort of the theme of that show. And this one, like – it sort of ended on that, and I think one way to look at the movie is as sort of a um, a walkthrough of like the history of the Western genre, because there's um, there's like it starts off with the singing cowboys. No, well, no, I sort of it skips that piece, um, but like <laughs> the. Um, you know the the first thing Daniel Craig does before Daniel Craig speaks, he is shot. Speaks, he has shot three people. Right, so like it's the the idea of this like the, and this was sort of the like pre movie. This was the Billy the Kid era, of you know when they were actually writing things while Billy Kid was still alive. This guy who's like incredibly talented with his gun and like lives by it, and that's sort of like the the thing you're introduced to. This guy's tremendously badass, and then it progresses to like him trying to like find out about himself and become a part of society, which was sort of like as Westerns were first being made in the twenties, that was a real part of, of them because like, you know, they were being shot in LA and there still was to a large extent, a West, um, in the near vicinity. So they were sort of as, as he was coming into town, sort of Westerns were coming into town with the, with the films. And then it, it, it progresses through a number of other things. And again, it's sort of, I don't know that it, I don't think it was intentional, um, but I do give uh, Favreau like a lot of credit. Like I feel like he watched a lot of westerns before he saw this movie, yeah. and he's not trying to like really do any of them. He's just like, but he does sort of touch on almost all of them. Like there's a, there's a lot of shots that are sort of um, the first time, and I think it's in the preview where Daniel Craig uses the little wrist gun to like blow up an alien. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a shot we've seen before. Like, you know. Um, some sort of real powerful thing charging and like a lone man with a gun takes it out with a single shot. Like there's a lot of little sort of touchstones like that throughout the movie that if you're sort of into Westerns, I feel like it, you know, it gives you that little uh, endorphin hit when you recognize them and it does it every five minutes. Um, Plus, you know, aliens. (laughs) Well, it's also alien kind of aliens. They're not like, uh, they're not. I mean, they have technology, but like they're big monsters with like claws that like run around and try to kill you and are like super strong and more or less invulnerable to most kinds of weapons. Um, like I, I could have sworn they killed more people than existed. 
Yes. Yeah, like, like, I noticed that too. Yeah. Like, like at one point, Walton Goggins says he has about 30 people. I'm pretty sure the aliens kill more than that many people. I mean, they're also the Indians who join the posse, but um, I don't know. They just like they just take them down like in seconds and just like gut them and like you know carve their hearts out and all this other nonsense. I mean, you don't see too much guts, but there's lots of blood and gouging and pulling and yeah, um, dead horses and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it's not like they're not like Mars attacks aliens that are hitting you. I mean, there are ray guns, but the aliens generally prefer to cut you up than to shoot you with their laser guns uh, yeah. most of the time. So. so can I ask a question? Can I take us a step back and talk about we, we talked about this very briefly, but, but let's talk more generally about the trend of uh, if there's it is such a trend of historical revisionism or using historical settings uh, for big blockbuster movies. I mean, this summer we had uh, X-Men First Class, which revisited the Cuban Missile Crisis. We had uh, just last week in Captain America, which revisited World War II. Um, and we just had Cowboys and Aliens revisit the Old West. We can even go back to what a couple summers ago with Inglorious Bastards as well, right? Again, revisiting World War II, but the, putting a major twist on it, right? Is there anything to be read into that about how we are like conveniently reusing the past and not uh, sort of not uh, advancing the lessons of the past? Or is it just all, you know, Cowboys and Aliens and no history? And that's okay. <laughs> I mean, to me, the unifying thread of these different, um, these different historical epochs that you're looking at is that these are historical epochs that informed the cinema of not quite, I guess, our parents' generation, but also our grandparents' generation, um, the cinema that people in our grandparents' generation were making. And people in our grandparents' generation are kind of, you know, they're dying off, and, and people of that age are kind of retiring and stuff. And and uh, it's like the the sort of the 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 guard of that kind of genre isn't around anymore. So it's the opportunity for a new generation of filmmakers to make movies in those old styles. And I think that people have a lot of bones to pick and axes to grind with, you know, movies that they saw. Like there are tributes, of course, right? And there's there, there are movies that are in tribute to to those styles and genres. But I, but I think that. There is uh, also a desire kind of to surpass and destroy the genres of the people that came before. I mean, that's the sense that I got when I watched, like, Inglorious Bastards, right? It's like they're, they're really trying to retell not the story of World War II, but the story of the Nazi movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what it means. Uh, and I think with Cowboys and Aliens, it kind of feels a bit similar. Because I think that it's, they sort of are showing us things that we would feel about that are analogous to things that appear in other like you know when there are a bunch of scary people who show up in a in a western a, a while ago i guess we're more scared of aliens that um abduct people and brainwash them and stuff but i don't know i mean does that make sense to anybody else that there's sort of like a generational thing there's like a competition between generations of filmmakers to try to seize control of these kinds of broad historical narratives and and make a make a claim on them personally and politically well i think that it's uh, you know it's something that that you've said that you're surprised that that things don't get remade more you know, that mo- yep. are sort of disappointed that movies don't get, get remade more um, in the same way that plays can get done again and again. That, you know, I don't know, a Shakespeare play can get done again and again, and it's about what the unique team of people bring, bring to it. I, I think something similar is, uh, you know, is sort of going on here, right? That, that um, the, the Old West is, is, uh, is our Shakespeare play, right? Is the American Shakespeare play, where, you know, where, however you... Uh, uh, however you conceive of that, like the, uh, you know, um, and that it, it sort of needs to get the idea of kind of taming the landscape and kind of taming the wilderness is, uh, 
you know, is kind of ingrained into the American consciousness. And that, that needs to get retold. It needs to get kind of worked over for uh, successive generations, I, almost as a way of kind of dealing with the trauma of it. You know what I mean? That, that mm. like, it's a, it's a troubled time in history. And, um, and we're sort of ambivalent about it. And, it. and we kind of need to revisit that. It, kind of like picking at a scab. We kind of need to revisit that old, uh, that old trauma again and again and again to kind of make sense of it in, in, the, in whatever the language of the moment, uh, in whatever the language of the moment happens to be. But, but you're right, sure. There's, there's, a kind of, there's a kind of killing the father sort of anxiety of influence thing that happens with filmmakers too, where it's going to be like, well, you know, this is my version of, this, of the same thing. Um, right, I think yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I'm not sure that that that's what Cowboys and Aliens was doing. I really think they were just trying to have some fun. Um, mm-hmm. There's also there's also sort of a new genre that appears. I was just sort of realized the uh, like what was it Battlefields, L.A. or oh yeah yeah was that that was like the U.S. Army versus Aliens, like the modern U.S. Army versus Aliens. They, they, uh, Predators was uh, uh, Hitmen versus Aliens. Um, yep. I didn't see either of those films, but you know, I'm waiting for the Roman legions versus aliens. I think that's going to be a fantastic film, and look forward to it. That'd but, be great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the only one I found there's a short story that is the Roman legions versus zombies that I recommend everyone try to find. Um, awesome. But it's uh, you know, there's uh, yeah, this this one was really just looking to have a good time, and Pete's right in that it's a little dark for that, but. Um, the you know it's it's it is a rollicking good time throughout yeah i will i will say if 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 we're okay talking about it i will mention that the rollickingest goodest time that everybody in the theater had in the theater i was watching it in was the preview for the most amazing movie that's coming out anytime soon did you catch this too josh did you also see the preview for battleship the movie when we were watching when we were watching this <laughs> oh movie? i saw it online i posted oh my goodness account. Does, are we okay moving on to this from the Cowboys and Aliens? Because sure. I think so. Was this the U.S. Navy versus Aliens, right? That's, that <laughs> yeah. appears to be the... Exactly. Yeah. So the, the idea, as far as I understand it, right, and, and let me set the stage for you, which is that a uh, random guy, um, I don't know who it is, I forgot the name of the actor, uh, is in love with Liam Neeson's daughter, I want to say, but he's like, and he, and he like got, he became, he got to be an officer faster than any other enlisted man <laughs> in the U.S. Navy, which is strange because people have ROTC, but, um, but uh, I guess they don't enlist first for that or what have you. But anyway, like he's like a hotshot naval person in an anachronistic present day where the Navy still fields a large battleship fleet of some sort. And, uh, and they're out on some sort of routine mission where Liam Neeson is yelling at him for trying to marry his daughter. And they come across an alien uh, spaceship in the water that creates some sort of field of radar negation such that the ships are incapable of detecting anything. <laughs> and as such, they need to fire at the aliens using systematic patterns to try to determine their location. <laughs> I mean, this is what I was gathering from the There's trailer. There's also a gratuitous like, zoom directly up from the scene and looking directly down as if it were your game board, right? Yeah, and the ships are all at right angles to uh-huh, each other. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. It's like if I were to write, if I actually had to sit down and write Battleship the movie, I've read a lot of commentary online about how it's like this is madness and this movie is going to be the worst movie ever. But honestly, like I wrote a long piece uh, like a year or two back about how to write the My Little Pony movie, and you get assigned to write like the movie about the board game Battleship. Oh, and by the way, there may very well be some people 
listening to this podcast, you never played Battleship. Maybe they were born overseas, or maybe they don't know what fun means because they never experienced. <laughs> silly, silly pacifist parents. Yeah, exactly. But Battleship is the uh, the 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 board game that masquerades as a game of military strategy, but is in fact a game of Cartesian coordinates. Uh, as you um, name coordinates on a grid to try to guess where your your opponent, who has hidden his board from you or her board from you, has hidden various warships of, of sizes and shapes. Uh, and if you hit them all, then you, you sink their battleships and you win. And if you don't, then the aliens, I guess, they win. And then they go fight the cowboys. It goes all crazy town. Now, I didn't have the original battleship. I'm really hoping that in this movie, or at least in the sequel, someone pushes a button and it has sort of a, a, a very electronic sound of Because <laughs> <laughs> that was what electronic battleship was all about. That would be great if electronic battleship was the sequel to Battleship, the movie. I don't think it's even called Battleship, the movie. I think it's just called Battleship, which is kind of unfortunate. But uh, I'm going to refer to it as Battleship, the movie. Because you know well, that yeah, needs to say, you sunk my battleship. Yeah, uh, if, if he doesn't say that, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, you're going okay. to want your $15 back. Is that the ghost ship moment of that movie? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very possible. You mean, you mean the ghost battleship moment? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very possible because the U.S. Navy doesn't field battleships anymore. They're very expensive. They're relatively difficult to shoot down, right? Like, the U.S. Navy doesn't need battleships anymore. Um, they're obsolete. We have them as museums and stuff, as far as I understand it. Um, so is it possible that, that they have to, like, bust out the, like, the... Um, like the battleship Missouri from like wherever it's sitting around and like it's like sort of like space battleship. Do you guys you know space? You guys know space battleship Yamato? Is that what's called Yamamoto? Um, oh gosh, what is it called? Space battleship. Uh, Tommy's going to be so mad at me that I forgot what this is but called. While you're looking that up, I'll just chime in here. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, with the decommissioning of the last Iowa class ships, no battleships remain in service, including in reserve with any navy worldwide. So there you have it. Yeah, so the aliens, the aliens have been waiting. They've been biding their time. We have no cowboys left. We have no battleships left. There's nothing else. For them. <laughs> in, the, in the age of cruise missiles, like ships with lots of guns on them just really don't do what they used to do for you. It's very true. I mean, it's Space Battleship Yamato. I should have understood. I should have, I should have known that because the Yamato cannon power-up in StarCraft is named after this Japanese cartoon about like basically taking the Japanese equivalent of the USS Missouri and making it into a spaceship. Um but yeah, it's also yeah. like the, the whole Robotech genre is like or the first, the first big piece of Robotech is all about that, isn't it? Well, perhaps it's, it's yeah. been twenty years since I read any of those books, but the uh, there's like one battleship that's sort of going to save the day. Um, to quickly go back, the uh, I wanted to just bring up the comparison of Cowboys and Aliens to Firefly, okay? Um, because the you know that's sort of the other big cultural example of trying to blend these two genres together. Except for, you know, Star Trek, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> Let's talk about Firefly. Do you, you, you see Star Trek as, as a Western? The original Star Trek television show is very much a Western. The successive franchises, much less so. But, like, yeah. if you watch the old original series, like, it's got the old crotchety doctor, right? It's got, like, the, the straight-shooting, square-jawed hero who punches people. And they go down to these weird planets with the weird rock formations and get in, in like, fist fights. It feels like a Western to me. Um, but anyway... Uh, you know, I, I just started re-watching Star Trek The Next Generation on... Uh on Netflix today, so I want to jump jump into this conversation. I thought it was enough to sit most of this one out. Um, 
and it's it's amazing how much the first uh, episode, uh, the first part of Encounter at Farpoint, is is a melodrama with some adventure story elements to it, rather than being an adventure story with some sort of melodramatic uh, or sort of morality tale elements, which is what you kind of expect from from Star Trek, isn't it? That like this, you know this swashbuckling space opera uh, with, a mor- with a moral at the end. But it's, everyone is so, is so oddly exercised. Like, everyone really has their little spandex panties in a twist over <laughs> uh, whether the human race is barbaric or not, you know? Never mind yeah. that, that fully half of them aren't human, um, you know? And, and even the ones who are human aren't all from Earth, so they don't partake uh, in the history in the same way. Right, right, right. Well, anyway, I interrupted Josh talking about uh, talking about Firefly, but we can circle back into the sort of history of the space western um, in a little bit. But what was your thinking about Firefly? Because it's very different from Cowboys and Aliens in a lot of ways, and similar in a few. Well, no, I mean, I guess that was I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of Firefly because it, it, the Cowboys and Aliens is a western movie. Right. It's not a it's not a hybrid of the two genres. It's a Western movie that happens to have aliens in it, mm-hmm. um, sort of in the place of what would have been like savage Native Americans throughout most of the Western genre, um, sort of like taking people and you know um, tough old white men having to go get them back. But right. um, I, you know, Firefly was was really trying to blend the themes of the sort of of science fiction and Western and did it in a much I thought more interesting way. And there are problems with it that we've talked about here, Mark. If, it's now the time to bring up Asian people. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't watch the show anymore without hearing Mark's voice in my head. Um, but uh, I feel the same way about making love. Uh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm going I'm to let both of those pass without comment. Continue. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. Well, because in Firefly, they have the option of picking up in their spaceship and flying away, which is the one, although the cowboy can ride the open range, like he doesn't really have the kind of freedom where he gets to go leave in this like high tech thing that keeps him safe right uh and that's kind of like the big potential difference for me at least well and that was sort of the one way that it does subvert the genre is like um at one point uh daniel craig is trying to recruit this this bandit uh pack that he used to lead to come fight the aliens and the thing he points out to them is like yeah you can run but you can't run far enough and like kind of the whole idea of the West, I mean, part of the romance of the West was that you could go anywhere and you were really like free to travel there. You know, there weren't fences, there weren't roads. It was just sort of you and your horse and, and endless land. And so like in some ways, that's the offense that the aliens are making is like taking that away from people, um, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, doesn't get developed tremendously. It's really just that one piece, but it, it's, uh, if they, I, I wish they'd developed that sort of piece more and, and gone yeah. more into like, um, you know, and, and really tried to take that theme and run with it and, and look at the way that sort of the themes of aliens, which if you look at most alien movies, it's about sort of, um, when there are a couple of genres, there are a couple of versions of it. There's like the aliens that are subverting culture. Then that's, you know, like the, um, not the puppet masters. What's the the? Oh, the body snatchers. The body snatchers, right? Yeah. Oh, the puppet um, masters like, are the same. There's a movie called Puppet Masters that does the same thing. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean that, and that's one version, and then the other one is sort of just this like the the sheer alienness of something. Um, and I feel like that's sort of what they were going for, but don't quite achieve. There's no point where like 
everybody's looking at the alien and freaking out about the fact that there's an alien. Um, there's a, you know, they find this, they find a track, they're tracking the alien briefly. And it's, you know, it is a foot that's like three feet long and has, you know, six different compartments. And it's just like, clearly nothing of this earth. And kind of nobody bats an eye at it. Um, which I thought was a real sort of, uh, an opportunity missed. Um, yeah, they they refer to the things as demons, but not, um, but really sort of never get into the existential meaning of it, which is, uh, which would have been kind of fun from a cowboy's perspective, I think. Yeah. I mean, so so westerns. There's definitely a bunch of different kinds of westerns, right? And uh, and so we're talking about a good example is Firefly. Let's compare Firefly briefly to Star Trek, right? Because they're very different kinds of space westerns. Because there are space westerns that are about there are westerns that are kind of about rambling and roaming and like kind of being out in the empty old west in this sort of like endless land with just you and your horse, which is what Josh is talking about. But then there are also the westerns about the white hat that kind of rides into town and meets like black bart and like confronts him and then they all they sort of like go their separate ways and try to figure out how they're going to solve the problem and then they have like the confrontation at the end and the standoff and the gunfight and it's over right um it's sort of like the john wayne not all john wayne's movies but like kind of the the, the way that john lane john wayne's kind of symbolic le- legacy plays through and so you have which is ironic because westerns can be both about kind of freedom from morality uh, and also like morality and freedom, right? Like they, they can be they can be like lawful good or chaotic good. They can right. They can be like you know you you are you have to figure out what is right or wrong yourself because there's no one else around to do it, or you have a mandate to create that which is right and like enforce it around you because no one else will do it if you don't. Right, and, and and so Star Trek is kind of like the we have to ride into town and we have to like go to the small town in the de- in the middle of this interplanetary desert, figure out what's going on, and like beat up the people who are responsible. Even though they say it's about the Prime Directive, there's a surprising number of episodes that are more along that that line, right? And and Firefly is much more of the sort of like we go on these, we roam around from place to place. Sometimes we're heroes. Sometimes there's nothing we can do. You know, sometimes we're the ones who have to run. Um, that sort of thing. I mean, I guess Firefly is also pretty square-jawed and white-hatted when it wants to be, um, which is a fair amount of the time. Uh, well, Firefly, is a, Firefly is, is the movie Stagecoach. Oh, it is? Right? Yeah, it, it, there's the uh, 1932 or something. It's a John Huston movie, and it's, you know, Ford. it's like these various characters. John Ford, sorry. Thank you. Um, well, actually. Where... <laughs> much appreciated you know and it's a preacher and a sort of upstanding young woman and a sheriff and it's sort of like you know archetypes of um civil society put in the stagecoach that then has to cross sort of these badlands with uh with savages and danger um and i feel like that's you know that's sort of what firefly was doing was just like and here we have and here's a mercenary and here's a prostitute who happens to be very high class and here's an engineer and sort of um it's about how those archetypes react to the void, um, which is how Whedon puts it in that, that show, um, which is great. And and the, um, I mean, that's really one of sort of the iconic westerns because, in a sense, it, it, you know, as Matt was talking about, it's about sort of the. It's about the interplay of civilization and the lack of civilization, right? It's about uh, the frontier, simply put, and. Um, and I guess that's where you're coming from with Star Trek as a as a Western, right? That's the it's they are on the frontier. Well, they, yeah, exactly. Well, space the final frontier. Yeah, they exactly. can't say it. Yep, exactly. So are they the cavalry? 
Sometimes. I guess so. I mean, sometimes yeah. are the cavalry. It depends. Like, uh, it depends what the mission of the week is. You know, if a, a planet is being menaced by a you know mysterious force that I don't know wants to tie its women to the railroad tracks or some such, yeah, then they're the cavalry. You know, and they. And it would be in. yeah. It would be, it'd be interesting to compare episodes of Star Trek, the original series, with episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, to see like if they're structurally similar. Because really, I mean, you talk about Deadwood being the definitive uh, Western of the last 10 years. The definitive Western of the last 20 has to be Walker, Texas Ranger. Because <laughs> nothing added, no, it expanded the purview of the Western genre greater than any other work by getting, letting Cowboys Roundhouse kick for the first time, which is something they previously not been allowed to do in polite society because of the stretch that would be applied to the crotch shell areas of their genes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I shouldn't make light of things like Cowboys and Chuck Norris. These are serious business. <laughs> so I apologize for that. Are, yeah, these are serious matters. The, Star Trek solves the problem by making the outfits out of spandex. Yes, this is very true. This also, very in, the, true. In, the, in the first season, there, there are the miniskirts. I, I noticed the Starfleet issue the Starfleet issue miniskirts and you may you may remember them. I, I had forgotten about them and so it was as I began to rewatch uh Star Trek The Next Generation, I was I was surprised to see the uh the miniskirts. It's very it's very you know, um forward thinking, the future is. Mm. Well, if anyone can pull it off, it's Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> so Mark, 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 had, Mark had mentioned earlier to, uh talking about the uh the career of Harrison Ford. Uh, which is, yes. which I think sort of does play in here because of the most recent Indiana Jones movie, which is another film in which Harrison Ford is wearing a leather hat and finding aliens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, and 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 also sort of and his character is like is sort of the Western element in Star Wars too, as I recall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, Except for the whole like living out in the middle of the desert thing that they all do at the beginning of the movie, but yeah, he's like the yeah he's the, the sort of sly talking, clever, charming rogue who you know like rides through the desert with his best kimosabe. He's like a lone ranger, except you know he's a little bit more morally ambiguous. Totally, Han Solo is definitely a cowboy. Yeah, he's, if his name it, like, it, he's more morally hurts. ambiguous, and he's less of a he, he's less uptight, right? Like the thing about these these um, Henry Fonda characters, like uh, I'm thinking of another John Ford movie, My Darling Clementine. You know, the sort of classic white hat characters. It's going to go out and defeat the the black hats, the cattle rustlers, or whatever that are menacing the town. Um, is that they are, you know, they live by a, a, a code of honor and and are thus no fun at all, right? And to say that to say that. Um, to say that Harrison Ford kind of brings the Western element to a lot of these movies, like, okay, uh, sure, aesthetically, but uh, as far as being a character, he's not really, he, he he's not really the lawman without a badge or the guy who lives with a moral code. He, he represents almost sort of anarchy, right? And the, uh, the, the only moral code Indy lives by is that that belongs in a museum. And, right. Uh, and the, um, the only... Well, I mean, Indiana Jones does at times decide that he's going to do the right thing even if it's inconvenient to what he's trying to accomplish right like uh which is not like help he, nazis you mean yeah, pretty much yeah well like when he, he i guess saving well, the girl bar, is kind when of your high. bar is that low you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> when like save is, the children from jail <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> when your bar is, well, i mean indiana jones is a smuggler really i mean like he's just like he's going in he's a, he's a thief and a smuggler 
you retconning some of my favorite stuff there. You're gonna have to wait for Spielberg to get and George Lucas to get a little bit older before you make your retcon like subversive Indiana Jones post colonial movie. Although what I guess they, they tried what, to what do it already. Are they gonna do like go in and you know like replace the whip with a walkie talkie? <laughs> <laughs> Don't give them any ideas, Josh. Don't give them any ideas. We know they listen to the show. It's going to be called uh, Short Round and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's going to be a remake. And it's not going to acknowledge that Short Round wasn't in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, don't open your eyes. It's like, oh, no, Short Round. Don't look at it. It starts out with Short Round getting his doctorate for medical school, (laughs) whatever he gets, (laughs) because now he's a doctor. Uh, Speaking of Asian people. Yeah, exactly. Well, one thing I do like, in in this movie, Harrison Ford is not any fun. No, like, at all. There's no, not, he does it. There's like not a wink. There's not a smile. And I feel like the last time I remember him being that serious was The Fugitive. Well, if you saw if you see saw Morning Glory, um, uh-huh. which is a great, I, I really enjoyed that movie. I, I really enjoyed that movie, which was the the movie with I think it was Amy Adams. Is that uh, her name? No, what, Rachel is that? McAdams. Rachel McAdams. I always confuse these these Nuevo Adams actresses. The whole Adams family has me over a barrel. But uh, <laughs> Rachel McAdams is in this movie about like a um, a local New Jersey producer like news producer who goes to to produce like a morning show in new york city for like the number three or number four network and harrison ford is the tom brokaw character who's like really stern and old-fashioned and is under contract to the news network but um they want to force him into retirement so they force him to so she like negotiates with people and forces him to like be the reporter on this like cheesy cheesy good morning america show where he has to like learn how to cook frittatas and stuff and he's just like he's it's funny because he's so curmudgeon that it's like endearing but he definitely has this new character who's playing in these movies that is just really gruff i'm wondering if something happened to his voice can he only talk like this he's like permanent christian bale batman um and i don't know if he was like this in hollywood homicide or anything but like he really seems to be like embracing this whole like grizzled old man thing pretty hardcore um so i wouldn't be surprised again jack lemon wasn't gonna replace himself yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'd, I'd just like, like to draw our attention to a, a little acknowledged masterpiece called K-19, The Widowmaker. <laughs> very nice, very nice. <laughs> you know, talk I, about, I've talk never, about a, like extremely solemn and also a very bad Russian accent. Uh, you know, he, he had, had proven his grizzled chops, his, uh, you know, his uptight chops a, a couple of times. Hey, I, this is whimsical. This has nothing to do with Harrison Ford, the man. But his, um, his URL on IMDb is imdb.com slash name slash NM and then the, the number. They're all sequential. So name uh, 0000148. Can you guess who uh, name number one is? Name 0000001 is? Delroy Lindo. <laughs> <laughs> is it Gordon Shumway? That's number five, for, I think. <laughs> is it Gene Hackman? No, it's a, it's is it, it D.W. Griffith? Uh, no, these are actor names, I think. Oh, okay. No, I guess, I guess name is, is actor, director, is any person. Uh, it is Mr. Fred Astaire. Oh. Born, uh, so that's born a- 1899, died tragically at 1987. Though I, I guess it wasn't that tragic. He was 88 years old, so he had a good run. Um, so, so that means that the people who created IMDb... When they were thinking, like, who are the actors we like, they most cared about? Fred Astaire was number one. 
Well, he was probably the first in an alphabetical list of old school actors. Oh, they listed originally, right? Yeah, no, number two. Those, Lauren... those of uh, those of us who always come at the beginning of alphabetical lists think that way, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, yet another thing that me and Fred Astaire have in common. Just watch me dance. Watch me dance. Also, I'll have a vacuum. <laughs> also great. Followed by, uh, followed by Lauren Bacall, then mm-hmm. uh, Bridget Bardot, John mm-hmm. Belushi. One of these things is not like the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that his name starts with a C. And then finally a, um, then finally a uh, director, Ingmar Bergman. Is, uh, mm-hmm. is next. This I could do this all night. In fact, maybe we'll do a supplemental podcast where I just count up the uh, the IMDb index of actors. But um, we should actually. Is there a way that we can get Congress to sponsor an overthinking at filibuster? <laughs> we just <laughs> or you just read Wikipedia in alphabetical order. Will can the gentleman from Fenzel yield for a question? Not not until I'm finished reading about the reading about the blue eyes white dragon. Okay. So I don't know what so this I don't know what this means. But um, uh, on a list where Fred Astaire is number one and and uh, Lauren Bacall is number two, Harrison Ford is number one hundred and forty eight. So right. uh, just type in like fifteen thousand four hundred and fourteen. <laughs> Who's that? As we wait. Yoko Akitani, an actress uh, who has three titles, um, uh, 19, the 1973 work, uh, Hisatsu uh, Shikakenin. That, that's great, Matt, but couldn't you just lie to us instead of was overthinking of Muse, Tilda Swinton? <laughs> <laughs> couldn't you just let us live in an awesome again, fantasy again world? In 1973, uh, Tokimeki. And then uh, her apotheosis in the best-known work that she is best known for, uh, 1979's Message from Space Galactic Battle, uh, in which place <laughs> she played Eolia. That is uh, 15,414. Aren't you glad? You, I will, I'll make the you next. The next one is Yahoo Serious. <laughs> Yahoo is always serious. It's true. <laughs> Who is, of course, trivia trivia fact, uh, the image on the first overthinking a t-shirt, right? Yes. Which is the limited edition. It's like a super rare collector's item because it yeah. got yanked from the store. I right? think Pete, so, may I, have, Pete may have the only one, in fact. I don't know. I tore. I was wearing it to the gym and it ripped. Oh, but yeah, it had Yahoo Serious in the tub and it said, why so serious? I think I was the only one who bought it. I think there was one other person. It's out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> So that one other person, you are either sitting on or wearing a gold mine. <laughs> and the aliens are coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, cool. Thanks for bringing it back there to, uh, to what we were, the original subject, Pete. Sure. I appreciate I've the callback. I've been resisting leprechaun jokes the whole freaking time. Because when it was like the aliens want gold for no reason, that's what I immediately thought of was the leprechaun. <laughs> but the leprechaun is not in this movie, unfortunately. No Warwick Davis to be what seen. About, what about members of the Tea Party? They also want gold. But they have a very specific reason for wanting gold. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get it. Because they lack faith in the United States economy. Oh. Sorry, we can't. Uh... <laughs> Them and Standard and Poor's. Um. <laughs> okay, let's jump, let's jump to the Twitter feed. Haikus from this week. Uh, Chris Morgan, C. Morgan Examiner on Twitter, uh, has this haiku about the Smurfs movie. Smurfs, Smurfs, <laughs> Smurfs, 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 Smurfs. <laughs> Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo, Smurfs. Smurfs, <laughs> Smurfs, 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 Smurfs. 
I, okay. I really like I really like where he goes to Buffalo. Yeah. I don't understand why he goes oh, to Buffalo. The, the reason for that is because the longest sentence in the English language you can make that's comprised of one word is the word Buffalo like either seven or eight times in a row. Yeah, because you can Buffalo Buffalo, right? You buffalo can, being a verb, uh, a noun, and an adjective. Yeah, and so Smurfing, it takes on a similar role in the syntax and semiotics of Smurf language. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Buffalo is an adjective? Yeah, well, like, that's place. Place. If like I buffalo, describe buffalo like, the buffalo. Yeah, like so buffalo, exactly, buffalo. Yeah, if I said, if I said, hey, Josh, we're going we're gonna to have an exotic meat tonight. We're going to eat buffalo. And you ask me, are they buffalo, buffalo? I say, yes, they are, in fact, from Buffalo, New York. They are buffalo, buffalo. But uh, uh, buffalo, 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 meaning they have buffalo sauce on them, and they're from Buffalo, New York, and they are buffalo. And then Mark Ruffalo will show up, and everything will get confused. <laughs> to, to, to buffalo is also a verb, which means uh, you know the buffalo someone. It means to to sort of confound or deceive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. So you think you, of them you, as deceitful animals? Do you? That did I miss something? You've never been double crossed by a shady buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's actually a reference to Brett Hull's skate being in the crease in the Stanley Cup finals back in like <laughs> <laughs> when Buffalo was nice. deceived. Uh, <laughs> You're a sport, sports rest. I like it. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Still on the Twitter uh, from Catherine Marino, Xyloart, X Y L O A R T, on Twitter. Uh, watching the new Thundercats. If cats are the white people oppressing the other animals, then what race is Panthro? Interesting. Um, was that a so, haiku? No, it was a question. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I don't know if I agree with her premise. The Thundercats are white people oppressing the other animals. I haven't seen it. Yeah, what evidence we have of the of the Thundercats oppressing other animals? Is, well, is they, they don't like, they keep giant. shutting down that poor mummy guy? <laughs> Mumra? Yeah. yeah Mumra. He gets a bum rap. He, all he wants to be is an immortal demon mummy guy, and he keeps getting messed with by those cats with knives. Um, <laughs> if it weren't for you pesky cats, I'd have got away with it, too. Wait, are, are they the British Empire, like, crushing Egypt? Probably. <laughs> they live inside of a giant sphinx that's a robot cat. So, like, they're, everything is Egyptian in Thundercats world. It's kind of weird that way. And, like, the little outfits that they wear... Um, I mean, I guess those aren't really very Egyptian at all, but the, it remains to be seen. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> can, can, someone, can someone mash up Stargate and Thundercats? So, like, uh, with, uh, you know, James Spader goes through the Stargate and ends up, you know, just hanging out with Lionel for an hour and a half and then comes back. It's called Avatar. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, this is from Andrew. Uh, Andrew says, regarding episode 160, you were talking about Harry and Voldemort's color of magic. Andrew has a little well actually for us. Um, Harry belongs to House Gryffindor, whose crest is a lion on a red field, while um, uh, I believe in heraldry, that's called a field jewels, right? Uh, whose whose crest is a lion on a red field while Voldy belonged to Slytherin, whose crest is a snake on a green field. Uh, symbols about sickness and virility or vitality may have played a part, um, but the house colors would be the in-universe reason that the colors are what they are. Well, thank you. Wait, so if so, like if you graduate from Harvard, then like thirty years later, your magic is still crimson. Is that like? Are we not allowed to wear the colors of other schools they don't, they don't in have, this world? They don't have magic well, if, at Harvard. 
If you were to show up, if you were a professor at another university and you went to their commencement, you'd have to wear your robes from the school you got your degree from, right? Oh. Although there's a, we've established there's a bunch of reasons why they use the red and the green. It's it's thematic, right? Like it's the color of the different spells that they're using. It's the color of the like green is the color of evil and a lot of uh, Rowling stuff. And there's the Slytherin and Gryffindor difference, right? And it's like so it's like sort of you know, heart and, and poison and whatnot. So yeah, so like that's definitely one reason, but there are many reasons and it's not a coincidence. She just sort of makes them, gives them those colors so that you can better understand them. It's a symbol, right? Different themes, I guess. Or maybe you can just see it as a graduate school analog and that's really what it means. It refers to graduate school commencements and what professors wear to graduate school commencements, if you so choose. I always wonder why they didn't put the hoods up when they go. Because you have hoods on those outfits, but they never wear them. Because the commencement is in late May and it's sometimes hot. You know? Fair enough. But so I probably would have listened to more of the speeches at our graduation if everyone on stage had looked like Jawas. <laughs> exactly. Anything else off the Twitter feed, Matt? Well, yeah, we have some stuff. Um, yeah, we have some stuff from Sebastian from Germany uh, who Ooh. talks about being a German fan of our... Uh, of our podcast has some very complimentary things to say. I'll skip them though. Cause I, you know, it's just patting us on the back and we appreciate it, but we don't need to repeat it. Um, uh, yes, we do. Yeah. Feed the ego. Come on. As an avid, by the way, I did see site, Captain America two nights ago. Oh yeah. But. <laughs> as an avid reader, well, we'll get to Captain America in a second. As yeah. an avid reader of your site and an even more avid listener to the OTI podcast, I just wanted to say how much I like to read the articles and especially listen to the podcast. Uh, Sebastian likes the podcast more than he likes the articles. Um, uh, he says it, it causes some very awkward uh, moments for him in Germany because uh, as he's listening in his headphones, um, g- going on his way to and from work, he just can't stop grinning or even laughing out loud while listening to the podcast on my MP3 player, r- resulting in people looking at me kind of strange. You know what he says is Game of Thrones was not broadcast in, in Germany. And so he, he was not aware of it and the kind of the cultural phenomenon that it was um, around here. No Game Interesting. of Thrones. Yeah. I, I wonder if there were German editions of the books. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, is, do they not have HBO in Germany? Do they not like gratuitous nudity? <laughs> oh, man. They have some yeah. midgets? <laughs> you've, never been to, you've never been to a beach in Europe if you think the Germans don't like gratuitous nudity. And that's right. what you're saying. They don't like midgets. It's like they have midgets on beaches in Germany. I'm missing it. And uh, Sebastian writes in with a bunch of of uh, haiku, a bunch of them. I want to pick. Uh, I'm going to pick a best one, uh, maybe two. Um, uh, this is the Big Lebowski bowling with Walter. Gangsters peeing on his rug. Have a white Russian. <laughs> um, and it's his second language, folks. Yeah, right. That's not bad. Uh, Kat, and oh, and he he mentions in his in his letter that he's fifteen. So uh, we, we're doomed. This is the post-American world. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine an American fifteen-year-old writing uh, <laughs> writing a Japanese poem in another language? Um, Captain America bashing Nazi skulls. Gritty super soldier film. Elron doesn't look good. This is uh, this is Sebastian from Germany. Uh, well, that's, uh, you know that's what we have from the mailbag. I like. I really like that we have an international uh, an international audience. 
Yeah, it's the reality of globalization, and I think it shows that uh, universal language is um, Spider-Man or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> right, isn't it, it? It is sort of the universal language. It, I mean, American film and television, right? And the the idea that they don't have Game of Thrones in Germany, like. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Sebastian, you do have Game of Thrones in Germany. You can get it on any torrent site you want. And I, I don't know. I, I don't advocate breaking the law. But I think if they're not going to sell it to you at a reasonable price, you know, all you want, all I want is the right to pay to watch. All I want as a German citizen living in Germany, as I do, right, is the mm-hmm. right to pay you money in order to buy your product from you. And if you won't let me do that, if you keep the Sean Bean from me, uh, the mountain is going to go to the Sean Bean. I think they didn't show Game of Thrones in Germany because they know the ending, which is that the Habsburgs won. (laughs) Um, So I'm looking at the HBO programming here, and it looks like HBO doesn't really have networks in Western Europe. They they franchise their shows out to non-cable networks, right? So... um, and this might have to do with the idea of premium cable not really being a thing, perhaps. But they do have mobile services in Europe, in, in like in Germany and stuff. They have a Central European channel, but that is only in like Czechoslovakia and Poland and other areas in that area of Europe, East, like sort of emerging market areas, right? Like not like you know what we would think of as the big, the big, the big countries in Western Europe. Actually, so that is interesting. Yeah, I'm very curious about this, listeners. If you are from a, a country that has a, what we might consider an odd media distribution network like i don't know what still has state-owned television stations i mean i shouldn't say still as though it is a historical inevitability that they be privatized but um i it does seem to be the way the world is going so i so i say still um uh, write in and tell us you know tell us how you do it and how you you get to it what part kind of legal and illegal or illicit uh sort of distribution plays in your um in your consumption media i'd be i'd be really interested to hear how like the sopranos makes it to you know i don't know poland or uh or france or something like that wouldn't that be that would Mm. be kind of cool definitely and if it changes if they have to edit it or change it along those lines it's too bad because hbo's take on eurovision would be fantastic (laughs) that would be fun that seems like a natural fit but i guess not well, so. this, it's been a natural fit with you guys here on the Overthinking Podcast, so we will uh, we'll leave our conversation there for a week. Uh, that's, that's okay. Like Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, zipping off his playtime cardigan and putting on his outside cardigan and changing out of his sneakers and putting on his grown-up shoes, uh, it's time for me to sign off. But we'll be back next week. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, you can Twitter us at, at @overthinkingit. Uh, we love those haiku reviews. We love getting the questions on Twitter. You can also email podcast at thinkingit.com. We've been good, haven't we, about reading the listener feedback and just integrating it into the episodes. I realized we were never going to give up a whole episode. Well, no, I didn't realize anything. Pete did it one day when I was off and, and you were hosting, Pete. You innovated and uh, got, one, um, got one or two uh, listener responses in and uh, that was the way to do it. Anyway, so we're, we're glad to, to hear your voice on the show. We especially want to hear uh, from you if you're from a, uh, a non-English speaking country and uh, want to tell us about how you get your television uh, in the meantime visit us in for the whole week for the whole week between the next podcast because we'll be here next week visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com the site where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny 
it probably doesn't deserve. Mr. Rogers and Aliens? <laughs> I guess it, you know, it would have to be in the local group, right? Because then they would still be neighbors. But once you get into that deep intergalactic space where the, uh, the expanding, the universal expansion gets to be more of a factor, it'd be more difficult for you to take your shoes off and for anybody else to see it because the light would bounce off your shoes and it would go speed of light away from you but the expansion of the universe would counteract the progress that it was making i think um i wonder also, why also, what, cardigans aren't very useful in space this is true this in is sp- very true in I'm, space no one can hear you zip 